Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to Dr. Duncan Hay, a research associate at the Bartlett Centre for Advanced Spatial Analysis, UCL London. We talked to Duncan about the definition and origin of the IoT concept, about Alexa and Amazon Echo, and about what makes it difficult for people to understand how it operates data. We talk about security and trust around IoT in public urban spaces through an urban space project in East London. Duncan and the team he was a part of explored what happens to a conversational object, a 3D printed garden gnome, when you give it agency, and how to make transparent to people the interconnectedness and communication between IoT objects. Lastly, we talk about IoT governance and trust. We hope you enjoy it. Can you define first IoT for our listeners? No, it's a good question because um, I think Internet of Things isn't really a very useful, uh, it's not really a very useful term at all. Um, I don't think it describes anything. I think it describes a whole host of different technologies. Um, And I think if you look at the history of the term, I think it really comes out of I think I don't know if he was the first person to use it, but I think um, there's a science fiction writer called Bruce Sterling who's probably got probably got a fairly good claim for having come up with the idea of the Internet of Things. And what he was very much talking about was traceable items and um, like so using RFID tags uh, to to track objects through space, so that you would you would be able to trace an object from its manufacture through all its various incarnations. So it was very much, um, and also he really emphasised the, um, he calls it fabability, uh, so the, the, the ability to, to download um, the plans for something and 3D print it, and then you would have your own version of this object that you could then do what you wanted with. So a bit like um, mm-hmm. we have open source software, we would have open source things. And what we've ended up with is um, various, uh, and I'll, uh, you'll have to excuse me, I'll probably um, probably uh, say, the, say uh, probably overstate the case, but we've got various um, uh, Trojan horses that we're inviting into our homes that um, uh, spy on us. <laughs> That's what we've got instead. <laughs> so, uh, um, and, and also, so when we talk about Internet of Things, I guess when we're talking about it now, we're talking about a device like the Amazon Echo, um, or Google Home uh, in mm. in a home environment. So these are these are voice driven interfaces that you can use to control your smart smart lighting or your telly or your or your or your thermostat or whatever it might be. Um, but then equally, we see the term IoT used, uh, Internet of Things used in um, urban spaces, and there we're talking about like sensors and. Uh, like low, very low powered sensors which which can connect to very wide range networks and send back information about urban space that could we can then analyze or people can analyze and make decisions about how how cities work so it's very much about um 
But I think if, we, if you're looking for a commonality between those things, it's very much about data collection and data analytics. So if you have the more sensors you have, the more information that you can gather about a place, um, the, the better decisions that or yeah. presumably yeah. That, like you can make decisions about how you, you, you have knowledge about that place and you can make decisions about that place. Um, so when you're talking about Amazon, um, who I think are on my list of people I don't buy stuff off anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you're looking at, I guess, a land grab for um, data analytics about um, about consumption habits um, and how how people behave there yeah. and therefore to sell them more stuff, um, which I think. Well, you can probably tell what I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, I, I definitely think that this is connected to the GDPR uh, current yeah. thing, you know, and uh, and the way uh, consumers view technology, especially those that view it on the spectrum of something that is there to harm you or something bad, um, something that is not to be trusted, no? Yeah, I think so. And I, I mean, I, I'm very... I think the GDPR, even though it's caused, caused me a bit of a headache today, um, I do think in general it's a good thing. We need we need regulation. I think when you've got technology companies saying things like data is the new oil, like that's when you know something's got to be done. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted uh, to ask you to tell us a bit more about this project that you um, did with IoT in the, within this space. Okay, so what we did um, is we were very privileged to um, work with uh, a large urban space in East London, which is the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park, um, which was a very it's a it's a park that was built for um, uh, the Olympic Games in 2012, uh, and it's now being redeveloped in various ways. Uh, UCL is building a campus there, which is why why we have access to the space. Um, so what we did is um, what we wanted to do was um, uh, explore, I guess, agency in IoT devices, uh, data collection, and really sort of provide a way to help people understand how... Um, I guess connected devices, network devices operate. Like how do like how do people understand how they work, and how can we think about how we can get them to understand them better? Because if you're talking about something like um, an Amazon Echo, like like the Echo, mm -hmm. um, when you say Alexa, turn on the lights, um, you, you think that you're talking to an object, right? And it says in on the box, this is a cloud connected device. It needs a needs an internet connection. Um, but I think that's like that. That doesn't really tell you very much. Like, um, it, like, what does that mean? What's the cloud? Like, is it? <laughs> like, it's such a terrible metaphor because um, yeah. the cloud is a data center or probably several data centers. Like, is it, it's it's not it's not really a very like this is a very very physical thing we're talking about. It's just it's a long way away. Um, so. You say, Alexa, turn on the lights. You you think that you've interacted with your device and then the lights go off. But what's happened is the Alexa, the Echo has heard the Alexa keyword. It's recorded your, your voice. It's sent that voice back to Amazon's infrastructure. That infrastructure has employed a machine learning algorithm to work out what it is that you've said. 
um, and then translated that into a command that goes back to um, that goes on to the whoever mm-hmm. the manufacturer your light bulbs were is interacts with their infrastructure then comes back to Amazon stuff and says this is what this wants to do then comes back to your home network your Amazon Echo then your lights go on so you think that you've had a conversation with one object you've actually had a conversation with probably well I I wouldn't even like to guess but there's there's probably hundreds of devices um, involved in that one conversation transaction yeah Um, and that's like that's an almost impossible thing to get your head around. Like, it, like it, it's it, it's insane the scale of what we're talking about, um, and it's so far removed from your actual your lived experience of of your interaction with with the device itself. And I, I think there's um, there's quite a good uh, um, a guy called Timothy Morton mm-hmm. um, who wrote who you might know um, who wrote a book called Hyper Objects. Uh, which, um, and despite the fact that, well, no, I won't say that. Um, yeah, hyperobjects is a, a, a really, it's a really interesting concept. Um, so a hyperobject is, is like, he calls them a very large finitude. So what, like, and it, 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 I think he's borrowing very strongly from um, the romantic concept of the sublime. Um, but what happens when you have a really, really large thing that is 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 bounded it's not like the universe um Mm -hmm. and is infinite and therefore so beyond our idea of what things are um that it's meaningless what happens when you have a very large object like a very a very large thing um and how do you how do you imagine that so his example might it might be his primary example might be global warming or oil like you're talking about things that like when you like we know about global warming like and it is a thing in the world it is real but the symptoms of global warming the thing that you can actually experience which might be an unusually high tide or um weird weather in november um like they're not the thing that is global warming global warming can only really be inferred statistically over hundreds of years um so it's not something you can experience directly and then he gives other examples like like oil is his other example like you know, like there is a direct connection between me deciding to get the train into work or me deciding to ride my bike into work and um an extreme weather event in the south atlantic like mm-hmm. <laughs> they are connected but the way that you can connect it is nearly impossible um like you like like there's no way that you can unpick that mm. um and i think that the internet of things has a similar sort of quality like you, you, you like the thing that you experience the thing in front of you when you're talking to your amazon alexa is so far removed from the thing that w- what's actually going on that 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 like you almost can't get your head around it um yeah. And and what was the project about? Like, um... so we were looking. At, yeah, we were looking at. Um, like, this is where it all gets completely nuts because I've said <laughs> this. And what we, what we actually did is we made a we we three D printed a load of um, garden gnomes um, and put Bluetooth beacons inside them, um, and then they had 
so if you were near the um near the garden gnomes um and were opted in yeah uh, you got alert on your phone and then you could have a conversation with the gnome um a bit through a chatbot uh, so a bit like um a bit like the amazon alexa when you're looking at like what yeah. what happened with a conversational object what happens if you give an object agency yeah uh, so the gnomes wanted to know about the place that they were in uh, so they knew a little bit about the building they were next to or the history of the area that they were in uh, and they asked you for questions they asked you questions about it so if you if you knew something um gave them a memory of the place they would swap with you uh, they would either give you someone else's memory or something that they knew about so the conceit was that they were trying to learn more about where they were. Yeah, and were they were they placed in residential homes um, or public spaces? In public spaces, so okay. out through, throughout the park. Um, but I guess the the learning, like the the provocation, or the or the, um, I guess the what we were trying to explore is how could you how could you demonstrate that these objects are talking to one another. So if you spoke to more than one gnome, so if you had a chat with one and then go and spoke to another one, they would reveal that they'd been talking to each other behind your back. No, okay. So the second gnome would know what you'd said to the first gnome. So it was a way of trying to, like, trying to, like, could you make clear using the technology itself? Could you make make clear to people actually something of what's happening hmm. by making it more obvious um so what was the what was the result could you do that i think as a design i, I mean i think we it was it was a really challenging project for many for many reasons um in that i think we we were needing to look at because of where the funding was coming from we were looking specifically at security and trust around internet of things um, and one of the biggest challenges is how can you do that without violating people's privacy in the process? And um, so we needed a, a way of, of coming up with a design intervention that would meet the research questions, but also be acceptable to deploy in a public place. Mm. Um, so I think from, I mean, we've, we've managed, uh, I mean, my my fellow researcher who can actually do maths which i can't do has has managed to build like out of the corpus of conversations we've we've like there are actually flags that you can you can look at you can statistically model whether someone is going to disclose um more information that they might want to uh, which has like, actual useful implications for um, privacy when people are interacting with non-human actors yeah. uh, which they increasingly are doing um, so in terms of that I guess we have two results really which is yes you can like the, this is a way of designing things in a way which which like, we don't have to hide this complexity from people we yeah. can demonstrate it and yeah. we can use the conceit of, of here is a thing that is alive um, and demonstrate to people what's going on, um, but also there are, are these privacy implications of how people might interact with chatbots and, and non-human agents online, mm -hmm. uh, which have it has an indus, indu, industry um, implication. Um, but I, I guess, yeah, there's this really nice quote. Um, 
uh, by Donna Haraway, uh, f- um, who wrote an amazing um, an amazing essay called The Cyborg Manifesto, which I think was I know it. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, When I started reading into AI and ethics and robots and humans, like she popped up so many times uh, in all my references that I had to start going down that reading hole. And she's amazing. Yeah, she is amazing. She really is amazing. Um, But that quote in that essay about how we're like our machines are becoming more and more alive Mm. and we're more and more inert. Um, and I think there's this opportunity with IoT, um, like, like, like that. That really, like, I, I think IoT is is a manifestation of that. Really, you have these these devices which we bring into our homes, which are shaping more and more. Our technology shapes the shape of our life more and more. I mean, especially when you think about the gig economy. Yeah. Like when you think about Uber or or or, or Deliveroo, it's like like there's this fantastic like someone just. Like, 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 just talking about, um, like, like yeah. my boss is an app and I owe it money. <laughs> yeah. Like, like that, that, that's a lot of, like, that, that's a genuine thing now, um, that your relationship with, with, with your employer, like, you don't have an employer anymore. And what does that mean? Like, you, you're, you're entirely technologically mediated and this technology has more and more autonomy mm. whilst i think often in many parts of our lives like that that or that that freedom is restricted is too strong a word um because i think we're i think in the west we're we're comparatively very free um it's more regulated maybe but it's more regulated mm. and more narrow well i have two questions and they're both i have, yeah i'll try to be sure so the first one you were you were talking about trust and data security, um, and and my question is um, around um, why would people not trust? Like, who is that entity that you either trust or not trust? Is it the object itself? Is it the company behind? And and why? And the second question has to do with uh, as you were talking about objects becoming um, inanimate. Um, I was wondering if we haven't seen this before with the invention of radio or television and, and what would you say comparing these two different moments in time, but kind of, you know, similar in some ways? I think to come to your second question first, I think the difference is data analytics. I think there's that, like, the, is it Eric Schmidt, um, the Google founder? Who said that Google's business model was was predicated on working out which adverts work, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, like I think that that's a really big question because I, I think you're looking like, like if advertising didn't work, they wouldn't do it, and so I think we we have a we have a, a sense somehow that we're immune to. I think we all think that we know how advertising works and that we're able to make critical judgments about how we spend our money as a consequence um, and that we're not really influenced. But obviously we are, because um, otherwise why do they do it? Um, yeah. So, so I, th- I think the difference is, is being able to, to, connect, to connect people's behaviours. So if you... Right, so looking at um, the Bluetooth beacon technology that Google, we used for the um, chatbots and the gnomes... Um, we were using Google's technology, the physical web, uh, and it, it's quite like if you're able to connect 
someone's spatial behavior with their shopping behavior, with their browsing behavior. You have this very, very rich data set about, uh, like, like, and you multiply that across a whole population. You have an incredible amount of detailed information, even when you anonymize that, about, about people's habits, um, how they spend their money, how they live their lives, um, and an incredible amount of power to influence those behaviors. Um, like, so, I mean, I think, that, I mean, if you think about Google Maps, for example, um, if I look at my Google Maps, like, different things are marked on it to when um, Catherine, my, my, my partner, um, looks at her Google Maps. Like, we're, we're no longer talking about a single space or a single representative, re- representational space. We're given, you're given, you're given targeted information on the basis of, of, of the analytics that a company like Google are able to perform on the basis of the data that they're collecting through these various ways. So I think the difference is, is that in previous media, so with the invention of the radio, there's been commercial radio practically since there's ever been radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same with television, there's been commercial television very, like in the history of television quite early. Um, but being able like the the level of granular detail about the success or otherwise of advertising strategies just wasn't available and now it is very available and we're talking about technologies that i mean i know myself i'm completely addicted to my smartphone i can't get off twitter (laughs) (laughs) like like um and that like you're looking at like technology which which is being used to to shape us in ways that are, I think, probably quite new. And with the with with IoT, I think we're looking at a bit of a land grab, really, mm. between the technology companies of who can who can collect this data first, and therefore, therefore, um, yeah. and then be able to capture those data analytics because uh, I mean I think you, you I mean you're looking at the monopolistic tendencies I think within tech companies mm-hmm. like they, they tend to they tend to aggregate you know yeah. like and probably like unless it's broken up it probably will be the world's mer- marketplace or there'll be Amazon and Alibaba yeah like, like there's only space for one Google yeah. there's only space for one Apple um, so that I think we're looking at a sort of, I don't know, it all gets a bit dark. <laughs> <laughs> so at that kind of, it's a good segue into the second question, which was about trust, right? And lack of yeah. trust and governance. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have suspicion. I, I mean, you might, uh, I mean, obviously Facebook's in the news quite at the moment quite a lot. I think we're probably at the beginning of a tech backlash. I think I, I mean, my my feeling on it. Um, and I think all of a sudden people are very aware that we've given away a lot. Um, and that trust question is really coming to the fore. And I think it's always been there in the background, but I think people haven't known what it's meant. Mm. But I think these discussions about data um, and what I, I think like privacy has been a bit of a red herring, I think, because like Google isn't interested in my, m- like my individual search. It's not like they're, they're not, it's not like the Stasi. Like they don't, they don't want to find out about me. Although I'm sure that there are agencies that do. Um, but uh, they're interested in the aggregate power of, of everyone's data, 
um, and what 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 business uh, what business intelligence what what um, strategic advantage that you can get through that data analytics um, and I think that's now becoming a much more live political question um, which I, and hence GDPR which is uh, and I can only think that's a good thing really because uh, it's about time. Yeah, we had on the on the podcast. We haven't released it yet, but we have an episode with one of the heads of research from Uber, um, uh-huh. and she was talking about that desire of, of finding more spaces of collaboration um, with the public sphere and especially with the public governance and city governance, uh, because Uber cannot exist as a service that is purely commercial. It needs to be kind of embedded within the public infrastructure of the city. But, you know, how do you do that in a way that allows for all the other things to kind of function in the same way? And what type so, of... So hmm? she, was arguing that, she was arguing that her own company needs to be nationalized. <laughs> well, she wasn't saying that, but she was saying that the, there needs to be more discussion with public governance, um, yeah. more discussion around policy, more discussion around, you know, ways of embedding Uber into the urban sphere um, that doesn't cause so much friction, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And I, and I, and I think that... that well, that's the question, isn't it? Like, uh, at what point does an organisation become so necessary to the functioning of a city or a society that, like, what sort of democratic oversight do we have over yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, like, if I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But that's that's a very good kind of question to to end on because I'm so aware of of how late it is in your part of the world. So thank you so much, Duncan, for being with us today. You're welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a really interesting conversation. And thank you very much. If you are interested in technology and the creation and dissemination of urban history, check out part one of this interview, which we released as a separate podcast episode. We talked to Duncan about his work with the Survey of London and the Whitechapel Initiative. We cover how digital technology can be used to increase access to historical data and the tensions and barriers between official and unofficial history. We cover inclusivity, diversity, citizenship and legitimacy of what constitutes data and what is the role of technology. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.